Welcome to the Underground Playground Podcast with Mike and Steve. We're bringing you the voices and personalities of the physical culture world, so listen up. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we are back again for another uh, Underground Playground Podcast. We, We have... This is kind of a different uh, guest. We have an individual <clears throat> by the name of Jim Fergie Chambers. I don't know if any of you may know who he may be. There's a little bit of a controversial type of thing. A few, it's probably about a month ago, maybe a little bit more. He posted a sign in his, uh, in his gym in Atlanta area. And basically the sign drew a lot of uh, national attention to him. The sign basically said no, no cops allowed and no, you know, there was no CrossFit, no cops. So he kind of made a statement. So we got in touch with him and uh, he agreed to come on our podcast. The funny thing is, you know, I kind of reached out to him a while back after that happened and just, you know, we kind of chatted here and there a little bit, trying to understand what his train of thought was. He knows well that my background is law enforcement. I had 26 years of law enforcement. Um, I retired a couple years ago and same with my co-host, by the way, my name is Steven Bowser and I am based out of the playground gym in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. My co-host is Mike Manning. Mike Manning is out of Harbor city fitness in Melbourne, Florida. Go ahead and say hello, Mike. Hi guys. So we're going to jump on this, um, podcast and we're going to, kind of dig in a little bit, see what, you know, we always like to talk about the fitness part of it. He owns a gym, see how it impacted his gym when he decided that he didn't want to have police officers in his gym anymore. From what I understand, he actually lost a few members. And uh, we're going to talk to him a little bit about that and uh, see how he's, uh, how he's coming along from that and see what his reasoning was to decide that he wanted to basically come forward and say, I do not want police officers in my gym. And I'd like to introduce the man himself, uh, Jim uh, Fergie Chambers. He is based out of uh, Atlanta, uh, Georgia, and he has a gym. What's the name of your gym, uh, your gym Jim? <laughs> uh, EAV Barbell Club. That's for East Atlanta Village. Okay. Um, awesome. So, so tell us a little bit about, like, your fitness background. It, yeah, I, from what I understand, it's specifically – a weightlifting gym or a strength strength facility it's you you don't um you know obviously you're not into crossfit from what i gather and uh, we'll get into that later but uh tell us a little bit about your training methodology and background mm-hmm. um well i guess i'll maybe background first then because that's sequentially first um i mean i grew up playing sports um my dad was an athlete all that stuff so i, I played baseball and ice hockey growing up i'm from up north uh played into college like d3 level nothing big um but then when that started to peter out, um, you know, I, I lived a certain way and ate a certain way. And then I stopped doing that and stopped playing sports and things happen to you when that happens. Um, yeah. I, I got way the hell out of shape and didn't like how I looked or felt. And so I started exploring, you know, strength training. I, I never wanted to run or anything. Um, and I actually, my, my first wife um, was from Russia. We met in college and we lived in Russia for a little while. So I was over there and, you know, I was doing whatever kind of bodybuilding split that, you know, some 20 year old figures out. Uh, and there was a, just like this older dude um, that I think I was talking to in the sauna, in the banya. You spent a lot of time in the saunas in Russia. Um, 
And somehow, I, some workout came up that I was trying to do that had a snatch in it. I didn't even know what the hell that was. Um, so this older Russian guy was like, oh, this is what this is, and kind of like spent a couple weeks showing me some things, and then it was time for me to go back to the state. I'd been there for about a year. It was really too bad I didn't get to spend time in some really good gyms there. Right, um, yeah. But uh, And, and I, you know, I have a connection to the place. But that turned me on to it, and I came back to the States. Um, and at the time, I lived in upstate New York, and uh, the closest thing to me was a CrossFit gym where I could uh, go and try to learn more about that. I still had to drive about a half hour. Um, mm -hmm. But so I, you know, over time just kind of got into that, ended up in Georgia, uh, got more into weightlifting in Georgia because there's so much here. Yeah. Um, uh, I... I to spend some time with Caleb Williams uh, specifically. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, oh, yeah. He does not endorse any of these messages, I am sure. But he's also a really not judgmental person. Um, yeah. uh, so, you know, anyway, um, learned a lot about that. And then, honestly, this was like five years ago. I, I owned a gym in Atlanta um, with my ex-wife. We split up. She took the gym. I didn't touch a weight for about three or four years, nothing. Mm -hmm. um, uh, mm -hmm. And then came back into it um, – I don't know, two years ago or something like that. And then just started, I started going to coffee's gym, um, okay, which I'm cool. sure you're all familiar with that as well. Yeah. Um, actually a, a, a very, very close person in my life, a friend of ours who, who ran coffee's now runs EAV. Um, really? uh, yeah. So there's a, there's a, been a, a lot of a connection there. I have a lot of an affinity for John. Um, yeah. John, John's a little bit of a spirit animal. John did shit like this. Sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was always yeah. making noise, and and John and I got along really well on that level. So you know, I, I just started training again there, and, and I you know I just love it. I love the sport. To me, it's like a martial art, a meditation, a discipline. Um, yeah. And I'm not good at it naturally at all. It's just something I loved doing. Um, and uh, after being at Coffee's for a bit, you know, I was I, I lived in downtown Atlanta to where Coffee's gym was in the suburbs. That was about anywhere from a 30 to hour and a half drive, depending on traffic, four wow. to five days a week. Um, so we just kind of started looking for a space to open something casual. And, and in a lot of ways, in my mind, it was, it was sort of to ideate some of what was going on at coffees, where it was like real casual, didn't cost you a lot of money. We really didn't care if we made money. And there were weirdos hanging out doing whatever they wanted. You know, yeah. I mean, strange personalities coming in and out. Um, and, and that's, you know, we, we, I had a friend that had a motorcycle shop. They got put out of business by a zoning law. The okay. space was gorgeous. It was near where I lived. Uh, mm -hmm. and we said, let's try this space out. Let's do it. So that was a okay. year and a half ago. Um, and we got going with that. Uh, and then, um, uh, it, it's really, I mean, you know, it, it's primarily an Olympic weightlifting gym. We, we, we try to be, we're one of the only places in the inside the city of Atlanta where, you know, you'll walk in and see blocks and platforms and Alico bars and bumpers. And, you know, we have, we have an Alico, a Worksan, two DHS bars, a York bar. You know, we try to have a little piece of everything you get in terms of weightlifting equipment because right. it's just scarce. It's mostly, you know, black rogue bumpers everywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. There are people that come in because, you know, we believe in accessory work and all that shit. So there are people who come in and just like our space and live nearby and yeah. come in and do whatever they want to do. There are people that do CrossFit stuff, you know, yeah. my issue is like, you, you know, don't do it with the trademark, but if you'd like to do some circuit training, go ahead. Sure. Um, a couple of power lifters, you know, we have a cage with a carpet. Um, uh, but, but, you know, I, overwhelmingly it's for, you know, it, it, it's a weightlifting, it's a weightlifting group down there for sure. Yeah, I've know, seen, that's, uh, that's what we I've care seen. about. That's what we try hard out. That's what we have coaching for. Yeah. Yeah. See, I've seen some pictures of it online, like the outside, like you're in between two other buildings 
And uh, in the East, uh, that East Village, right? Is that what it's called? The East, East Atlanta yeah, Village? Yeah, East Atlanta Village. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it looks like a pretty cool space, like a, like a hardcore, but, not, you know, kind of, or like more old school than hardcore, I would say. Yeah. No, for, it's like bare bones. You know, there's, we got yeah. bricks inside. There's old posts up all over the place. Yeah, there's, it's no frills, but, like, but it looks nice and it just feels right. It just felt right yeah. to a lot of us. You know? That's totally cool. It's really supposed to be a home for people that just don't have a home in other gyms. Yeah. More than anything you know yeah so you so you'd say your culture is um just it's not it's it's more or less like a variety of different a mix of people that just want to come in and do any kind of training they want to do more or less and um but yeah, it's but heavier different. on the weightlifting end much yeah. heavier on the weightlifting end than sure else. Yeah. i got you um, and we also i mean one of the other purposes of the space because it was so large um was to start to open it up for other kinds of events we have some of them are fitness related. There's a, there's a group called Queer Fit in Atlanta. That, that it, it, it's a lot like boot camp or something like that, but it's specifically catered to the queer community. Um, they use that space for free. And then we have some political groups that meet in there. Um, I don't believe any of them would want to be named. Uh, but, you know, uh, actually there's something going on later this week. Uh, we just kind of keep it open for that. Anything that needs yeah. to happen. If there needs to be big meetings, screenings. We had a dance party there one night. They redid the whole space. So we, oh, yeah. you know, we, we try to make it available for stuff that's going on. You know, yeah. A lot of the stuff I'm involved in or friends are involved in, you know, I've been mm -hmm. very politically active for a long time. So I got you. So is this kind of more or less like, um, is this like a uh, more of a hobby type thing or is this uh, like a business for you or um, are you, are you? Um, well, I think when, when we talk about like what's a business, right? Like in, 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 in America and in the West, we define that usually based on, well, is this a thing that is profitable or not? Is this a yeah. thing that is supporting you financially or not? Sustainable, yeah. Look, look I was born into a position where that's not something I have to do. Right. Um, and, and, and that's a privilege, you know, but it's also, okay, you can F off with that and go do whatever you want and fly jets around the world and do cocaine. You know, or you can try to do cool stuff with it. So at yeah. the end of the day, I, I'm not going to have a job that makes money um, because yeah. I don't need more money and I shouldn't have more money. I should have less money. Mm -hmm. So I try to create workspaces and environments where, you know, there's some sort of benefit being provided. We could probably make money if we really tried there, but I don't. If you're from the neighborhood yeah. and you know, you're part of the wave of people that's getting gentrified out of there, we're not going to charge you to train there. You know, mm -hmm. if, if you are 20 years old and you're, you know, a part a student working a part-time job and you want to be a good weightlifter, we're not going to charge you to train there, you know? Right. So that's, it's kind of like, yes, it's a hobby for me among many, I guess, but a really serious one. And it's also, I would say less of a gym and, and more of a club. It really is. It's I a club. You. You know? Yeah, it seems like that. Like a community. You know, like a, it's like a, almost like a suggested donation to join, you know, if you can yeah. afford it, pay it. You can't yeah. don't. So. Yeah, it kind of, well, let me ask you this, you know, I got, I got to, I want to ask you, like, since you do that, um, do people, are they consistent? Do they feel like they're committed or do you, cause I'm not going to lie, man. Like I've, and I always say it, I don't know why I always say it. I'm not going to lie, but anyway, it's a saying I've actually given people memberships like scholarship at my facility and or comp people because they were having a rough time or, or even did trade. Like I had, I had a guy that, uh, let's just say he made signs or banners and consistently I'll take him as an example, him and his wife were consistent, man, making great progress. I made a deal with him. We comped membership 
two months later, man, they both fell off. It's like they totally devalued the program after that because they feel like, ah, you know what? They're sitting on the couch. They're tired. Nah, you know what? I don't really see why we got to get up and go because we're not paying anything at this point. So I'm just kind of curious, you know, are people still consistent even though, or do they just come in for a while and then they split? I mean, you know, honest answer. How do you feel about that? I mean, I've seen a lot of people do that, whether they pay or not. And I've seen some people not do it. You know, I, 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 on the same, you know, on the flip side, people have a lot of money and they're paying. They're just like, whatever. Um, yeah. but, uh, no, we, we have a lot of trades. And I mean, I, I, in our, I would say the trade outs are, are some of the most consistent people we have. In a lot of cases, because what, what we'll do more, most commonly for trade outs is you're just going to man the desk for a yeah. few hours. You know, and so, so, so that way those people are coming in consistently to the gym and their only responsibility is to be there. So they're going to train, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah do, you uh, have co- do you have coaches and stuff in there that help people or is it just uh, people come and do their own program without a coach? Yeah, a lot of people do. And then there is – so there's one guy – I'm not there as much as I used to be because I'm working on this project out here, but I do come in. I used to coach there a lot. Um, but then we have – uh, Rachel, who is a, a, a really good, she's a, she's a level two instructor. Um, you saw a level two instructor. Um, and she's a current national champ, a master's <laughs> national champ. Um, so she's there um, coaching on weekends. And then sometimes in the weekdays during the day, she trains there in the daytime. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I can pop in here and there. Young guy named Jacob, who's a pretty good coach, uh, trains a little bit. And then our, my friend Dre, who uh, kind of, helped me start the gym and is involved in a lot of political stuff. He's not a certified coach or anything. And he really, he'd never done anything until about a year and a half ago, but he's been around it constantly. So he's there enough to be like, if you're doing it wrong, he'll tell you to stop doing it or, you know, or, or, or help you out a little bit. Yeah. We'll try to make sure somebody's there. who will make sure no one's going to break the damn arm off. Um, yeah. And then the folks who know what they're doing have keys and they can do what they want, you know, and we know oh, who cool. they, oh, it's, it's like very that. small, you know, it's very, very small. So it's, it's like, yeah. We can, I, and don't ask me the membership because I have no idea right now. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, somewhere between fifteen and forty-five, you know. Right. But uh, I gotcha. uh, you know, so we kind of know who's who about everybody, yeah. and and really, people don't usually join our gym unless they really, really like it and really, really want to be a part of our community. Yeah. So they tend to show up, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of that, that uh, so that's kind of getting right towards the the main subject matter of the community in your gym. And so, you know, the, these uh, garage gyms are, you know, worldwide famous for that, right? You know, they attract a certain community. Um, and you, you have taken a very public and uh, a very um, left-sided stance on what you would see in a lot of gyms when you, you, you were actually, uh, you know, featured on the news because you posted a sign. We talked about it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, That's that, a barbell, by the way. Just so it's you know. a barbell in, in a sickle, right? <laughs> um, so, so, I mean, that, that's the thing, right, is that you, you posted a sign that said no, uh, you know, no CrossFit, whatever, no cops, and something about military or something. And, that, and then you went on and you were interviewed uh, on the news. I, I think, you know, you stated your position pretty clearly. And it created a lot of uh, backlash from other people. Um, whether they have a right to care what you do in your own gym or not is, is one thing. Uh, so what type of community would you say that you have in your gym and what, and did the community that you have in your gym lead you to, uh, create that policy of no police and military or, 
was it kind of something that came from the way the community is now? Um, I mean, that was standing policy from the jump. Uh, I mean, I, I'm any space that I have a hand in creating is going to be a space that's a no cop zone. That's just sort of how we are in the world. And, and again, Dre, my friend who helped me open it, and then the political groups that we already sort of knew in advance would be making use of the space. These are not folks that want cops around um, for a variety of reasons, because our political beliefs are, you know, insurrectionist. <laughs> you know, I mean, quite, I don't want feds around me, for, for instance. For real, you know, um, uh, but also because especially in those groups, but then some of our training groups as well, we have a, a, a pretty decent representation from, you know, LGBTQ community. Um, there's definitely a fair amount of people of color there, you know, and it's Atlanta and the east side. This is a neighborhood where, you know, there is kind of, it is kind of on the gentrifying border, you know, and mm -hmm. the narratives that we understand from the folks who are from that neighborhood is that, the Atlanta Police Department came in with a mandate to clean them the F out, you know, when it was time to make the neighborhood nice, you know, and this is where we've seen this and where I grew up in New York City, it really starts with Bratton and Giuliani and Broken Windows, where, you know, that, that blueprint was created, where we take neighborhoods that, you know, have been suffering and we come in and we arrest everybody for petty crimes and we clean up the streets and then slowly houses are vacant and, I mean, there are many layers to it. Of course, there's economic elements to it, um, as we saw in the recession. Uh, and then, boom, here come the rich white people, you know. Um, so all those things sort of played into it. Um, uh, and at the end of the day, it's, it's my feeling and, and the feeling of those that I sort of run with politically, my comrades, that, I, I mean, look, we're police abolitionists. We don't believe in policing in the sense that we now understand it in this country. And so normalizing an attitude that says we don't want cops around and really we don't need cops around because there are other options um, is important to us. Um, uh, so, so being able to make that statement, gosh, we had signs up there a year ago that said essentially the same thing, different signs, different weeks, different people wrote them. And then that week somebody saw it and somebody called the news. Yep. And then the news thought it was interesting and came out. And then they met me and thought it was way more interesting. Like, <laughs> well, they figured I'd be like, I'm sorry, you know, but I was like, no, I'm not sorry. So they were like, so they ran with it. Um, but it wasn't like some new thing that, you know, surprised everybody. We'd taken some heat from like some local neighbors here, you know, neighborhood message boards, stuff like that. We had a couple of flare ups in the past, but sort of was what it was. Um, yeah. I do, you know, you asked about publicity or whatever. Um, not a PR thing. Um, I will say that I think in the same way that, you know, a lot of businesses, even in the nine, you know, in the nineties, a lot of businesses started putting things up about, you know, supporting equal rights for gay people and stuff like that. Um, now you'll see a lot of more businesses with like a black lives matter sign in the window, things like that. So when, when local businesses are vocal about really controversial issues, um, people tend to pay attention to that. It's a loudspeaker that you have and you can use. Um, my impression is that, you know, we have a culture of sort of professionalism and respectability in the U S and if you step out of that, you can be in trouble, Colin Kaepernick. Um, uh, and when you are in a position where you're somewhat immune to that, as I am, i.e., okay, you know, take money away from my business, then you ought to do something with it. And, and that's really, that's how I feel about that. You know? Yeah. So how did you, uh, you know, let's just, uh, being, being a rich white kid, um, did, did your uh, did your upbringing? Um, you're obviously uh, left wing radical. Um, 
maybe would you describe yourself as communist in your political beliefs or socialist? Yeah. Yes, I would. I would call myself a communist. Um, you know, it gets it gets very nuanced when you start talking sure. about what does that mean and what right. what end of that. You know, I have a lot of anarchism in me. Uh, yeah, did that come from your family? I mean, how did that how did that develop inside? You know, in your personality and your belief system. How do you think it developed? Um, well, I didn't grow up, uh, you know, in like some really ultra shishi fancy environment. Um, I mean, it was nice and it was comfortable, but my, you know, my dad was the one who came from the rich family and he was kind of doing his thing. I was with my mom and in really an upper middle class environment in Brooklyn. Um, yeah. you know, and I went to a, a very good school that, but that's also kind of a notoriously weird school. Um, I went to school with Lena Dunham and, you know, a, a few other folks that have some notoriety now. It's kind of <laughs> like that, you know, it, it's, it's, it's the elite but alternative school in New York City. Um, so that was certainly an environment that bred radicalism. Um, you know, I think it also bred a lot of kind of like sanctimonious liberalism, which I have a lot of objections to. I think some of the people that I've talked to in this process are kind of like, you know, they scratch their heads because I'm like, I fucking hate liberals more than anything. Um, <laughs> yeah. and they're like, I, I didn't expect that from you because I was just about to call you a libtard. Yeah. You know? um, but, uh, certainly that environment you know my dad was a pretty radical dude he made documentaries focused on civil rights um you know but he's also decidedly a kind of far left liberal uh, you know he's a democrat for sure um and you know i had exposure to this but then i the, maybe the biggest change was i had an eighth grade teacher who was a communist and very vocal about it and we read howard zinn's people's history as our textbook i don't know if you're familiar with that um called yeah. A People's History of the United States. It's a really comprehensive history of the United States from really pre-colonial times, um, written by a, a really wonderful historian who's now passed. Um, uh, and it, 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 it started to change my perspective a lot. I happened to have a really big crush on this teacher too, and I had her again in 10th grade. Um, and and <laughs> really? she had a lot to do with that. Um, honestly, the history faculty at school, I was really into the humanities, all of them. Um, and, and my exposure to that and also to Russian culture. Um, yeah, I read I a lot of Lenin in high school. Um, uh, and, and yeah, I just sort of got onto that. And I think being able to see my family on one end, um, you know, I know how much money we have. Um, I know how we got it. Um, I know uh, what sort of power and influence we, and I say we, not really me, but you know, the folks up there, what sort of influence they are able to yield in the world um, and in their networks. You know, Arthur Blank sits on our board and a bunch of hedge fund managers from you know, all over the place and then they sit on boards with these guys. You know, it, it, and it turns into a, a very large plutocracy. And so I sit there sit, knowing that we have all these billions in the bank and knowing that we completely privately own an enormous media conglomerate um, and have done so now for close to five generations. Um, you know, and, and meanwhile, we don't have free education. We don't have free health care. You know, we, we understand the conditions that many, of, uh, many are living in in this country. Um, and I don't think that was a, a dissonance that I ever felt comfortable with. Um, and, and I don't. I don't. Um, so it had a lot to do with it for sure. You know, yeah, that's, uh, that's seeing, a, seeing my aunt have 50,000 roses from Bangladesh flown to a dinner party in Manhattan on a Tuesday night. Yeah, there's some excess definitely going somebody, on. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I, so, on that, I definitely that, agree. Where, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. I know. Did uh, so? You know? Did you? And they're all Democrats, by the way. <laughs> of course they. <laughs> well, yeah. Not well. There's a couple, but you know, the really the super corporate ones give the maximum to every candidate from every party every year. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's a that's a way to to hang on to your money to get your candidates elected, right? Right. right. Um, it's a good it's a good uh, uh, insurance bet. So g- growing up, you know, going to school, uh, private school, you you obviously were around other um, privileged kids with means. Mm-hmm. At, so and and then uh, uh, a very well. I, I, I didn't, know. I didn't spend that much time in school though. Just by the way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. But, but do you notice that um, or maybe a lot of times kids that grow up in that um, in that type of environment, and then you see the excesses, and you know when when you're young, you're very we're all idealistic, and you know we want to help everybody else, and you see the all that money and that's not going towards helping other people. Do you think that shaped your opinion a little bit? Sure, I think maybe it would have been more shaped by though just like experiences within my own family because again our school was everybody was wealthy. Not, I mean, actually, there was a very large contingency of scholarship kids there, too. Um, Dre was a scholarship kid at St. Ed's, um, you know, that came from Far Rockaway. Um, uh, but it wasn't, you know, this wasn't the kind of private school where, you know, we didn't have a football team. We didn't have a prom. Nobody had cars. It was on a corner in Brooklyn, you know, and, and most people lived in brownstones nearby. It wasn't, you weren't driving your BMW to homecoming. You know, so the it, it like it wasn't that kind of ultra elite environment. It didn't seem that way. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think my own family had something to do with that. Certainly, you know, some of that environment and and the closeness to the city. Because, like I said, I didn't spend all that much time in school, and I spent a lot of time. Uh, you know, I, I was making real bad decisions at that point in life. Uh, so I spent a lot of time in you know some pretty low income neighborhoods with folks that did not come from my background at all. Um, and being able to see that contrast for sure. Yeah, you know, to fly over to France and be at a family event and sit next to somebody from the House of Lords, having been in a crack house the week before, uh, you know, somewhere <laughs> in East New York. Yeah, you look that in the face for sure, you know, and, and, and you start to wonder, you know. <laughs> hey, so, uh, you know, like I, I kind of had a, a straight up question with you. I mean, I mean, you're specifically, you know, we kind of chatted briefly, but I know you you didn't feel like, because my biggest things come from law enforcement background, you know, and, and, and um, you know, I, I obviously don't agree with what, how you feel as far as, you know, no cops allowed. I mean, and your exact words were, you know, it's, you know, I, I was like, listen, you know, I, a lot of people don't like cops because they see all the bad shit, all the stuff that's publicized with the bad cops. And I wanted to make it clear to you that, you know, all the good cops, you know, they listen, man, they hate that more than anything because, you know, obviously they don't want they don't want people to stereotype, you know, that all cops are dirty, obviously. So, you know, you you basically just kind of said to me, you know, you don't you don't think that, you know, cops are inherently all inherently bad people or bad humans. But I guess it was more or less. I don't know if it was just that you didn't like the police officers themselves or, you know, you didn't. uh you, you didn't um, just like the, the system, more or less. Um, sure. am, I, am I right about that? Or, I mean. Yeah, I mean, I, so I, I think, again, when we, when, when we discuss these things uh, in the context of a Western liberal culture, and again, I used big L liberal um, to define 
pretty much everything that exists in the American psyche. Um, we, 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 we get too caught up in individual personalities, um, you know, but this guy's a good guy. Uh, that's nice. You know, I'm, 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 I'm sure there are plenty of good guys. My issue is even the good cops doing the good job the right way, they are enforcing policy that I consider to be criminal. Um, you know, they are in, arresting nonviolent offenders that are getting locked up for 25 years over drug charges is a fucking crime against humanity. You know, I, I, there's no reason I shouldn't have done life 17 times for all the drugs I've done in my life, but I have buffers of protection. Um, uh, is that the fault of the individual cop making the arrest? No, but you're part of the system. And so I equate it to, I'm not going to use the third right because it's too easy of an example and it's too cheap. But if I were to say, I mean, gosh, anybody, uh, let's take, let's take, you know, the Spanish civil war. I'm sure there are plenty of folks who through some degree of partisanship became members of general Franco's army that were decent people. They put on a uniform that signified that they were fighting for a specific cause that served a specific master. And I would not have said, well, you know, when that guy goes to home at night, that fascist is probably a really good guy. You know, in the same way you would say, sure, about a Nazi soldier or whatever. You put on a uniform, uh, you're, you're, you're taking on a lot, of, uh, a lot of other meaning in that. And, and I consider the police in America to be an enemy force, um, to yeah. be an occupying enemy force, to be an infringement on civil liberty, um, and really to be in service of big capital. Um, before everything else, you know, That's property a, is protected first in America. So I want to, I want to, I want to address something with that. I want to, why, while we're on this. So <clears throat> I was an undercover, I was an undercover narcotics cop and I worked Ooh. narcotics for like 18 <laughs> years. Yeah, I know. I worked with the DEA. I worked with, I did a lot of fun stuff. A real narc. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, I'm just going to be, I, I can say whatever I want. I retired, you know what I mean? But I'm just going to be totally transparent about this. There was a time when South Florida, especially right where I'm at, was ground zero for Oxycontin. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally, we would see car, truck, you know, like vans, vans with West Virginia tags, Virginia tags. They're all coming down and they're, and they're just going from pharmacy to pharmacy to pharmacy and they're, and they're paying cash and they're buying these pills for about 10 bucks a pill. And they're bringing them up there and they're selling them for a hundred dollars a pill for oxy eighties or sometimes even more. Ooh, so, so what happened is, yeah. So what happened is it got to the point where one year I, I arrested 52 people for drug trafficking in a one year span. And some of these people that I arrested, I mean, literally they had uh, maybe 11 oxycotton pills and that was a trafficking charge, a minimum mandatory, right? So I'm like, I, I kind of, I'm kind of feeling shitty that right. these people are going to go to jail for at least three years right. for seven right. little pills, right? right. right. So I'm kind of not getting it, you know? And um, well, what it ended up happening is they, the reason why is because they, the pills, the Oxycontin was getting so far out of control that they had to make these laws so stiff and so strict that that was the only way we were going to try to prevent it from 
everybody turning into zombies more or less, or that's at least what the attitude right. of the law I mean, that's, always, that's been the American solution, certainly right. since Nixon, certainly well, and Reagan, and it hasn't you know, worked. Yeah, well, it, it kind of, yeah. what ended up happening is, I think how it really solved the issue was the pharmaceutical companies had to eventually figure out a way to make these pills a little bit different. So whereas they weren't able to sniff them, snort them, lick the coating off and stick it up their ass. So they kind of made them time release no matter what. So they couldn't get that rush. Little, little, little citrus will take care of that. <laughs> well, I don't want. That's I don't want to this, Yeah, this could be a, a, a drug problem. And I don't mess with things. I, I used to when I was I was a junkie when I was a teenager. So I yeah. with all that stuff. Um, yeah. You know, I, I don't know if you're familiar with with. I mean, there are a few countries that have some very very tolerant laws on on or very tolerant drug policy. Portugal stands out above any of them. Portugal decriminalized everything about ten years ago, and they had the worst. Uh, rate of heroin addiction in essentially in anywhere in the West. Um, They have seen it disappear completely. Um, They have no more violence around drugs. Their rates of addiction are incredibly low. Um, And and I'm like, they have absolutely decriminalized everything there is. Um, And everywhere we see this happen, you know, we see generally good results. Um, Yeah. Well, the so, problem you know, you know, that's a big I, piece of it. Incarceration is a big piece of it, you know. It, it absolutely. I mean, there, we probably our policies against the, you know the war on drugs, you know per se, um, has led to a lot of expense and a lot of people being incarcerated for well, what you know should probably not be a crime, um, mm-hmm. especially when you're talking about marijuana. You know, you, you get up onto the higher scale drugs and you might have a different argument. But the fact that uh, the police enforce this and and then you use the you liken them to uh, Franco's army, right? Um, you know, where they're not a nice guy. The difference, I think, though, is that the police uh, here are mostly localized. Yes, we have federal officers and stuff, but police uh, that most people come in contact with are local police. They live in your neighborhood. Um, they shop in the Ooh, same They don't really live in your neighborhood anymore. Well, that's, 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 big that's when I, yeah, maybe not your specific neighborhood, but they're from your town or your city. Generally speaking, well, for instance, um, like in New York, where I grew up, most of the cops in the city live in Staten Island or Long Island. Well, right, but they're still they in, in New York. It's not like right. I mean, but, right, they, but, but you know, Merrick, Long Island. Island is not East New York. No, it's definitely not. Yeah. But th- those guys are working in Suffolk County. They get paid a lot more. But uh, they get paid a lot out there. Yeah. Yeah, but my my point is though is is in saying you know that the police put on that uniform and then they're an occupying force. I think uh, the way where I would disagree with you on that is that they have the same stake in the community more or less right uh, secondary to that um, they're not supporting a single dictator they're supporting uh, a code of laws that is voted on uh, by the by society and so i think you know the if i was going to uh, attack somebody i would uh, you know with my words i would probably attack the system like you like you are and you seem to want to and i totally respect absolutely uh your right and actually i, I admire your you know, um, your tenacity towards it, but to, uh, you know, to, to hold the cops themselves as, you know, part of the system, like a jackbooted thug or something like that. I don't know. I, I think just, I think that's kind of a, you know, a, a knee jerk reaction on your part. So would you explain, how do you think that the, I mean, if every cop quit tomorrow, what would it look like? Uh, it would look about how it looked before we started to have runaway slave patrols. 
because uh, we didn't have cops before that. Um, look, I, I, I think, I mean, that's really the crux of the issue, right? It's not about, is it, is it the system? Is it a man? Is it a cop? Um, no, it's not a single dictator in the U.S., and that is what has made uh, the tactics of our regime so much more sophisticated and advanced than mid-century fascism. Mid-century fascism is very obvious. What yeah. we do, we do through media, we do through propaganda, we do through manufacturing consent through a false binary, right wing, left wing. Well, they all support our goddamn wars. They all support uh, Wall Street. They all support you know, a long list of other things, the occupation of Palestine um, being very important to me. Uh, and so we, we do have you know, effectively, again, in my opinion, an authoritarian society, and we have a racist society, we have a patriarchal society. Um, and whether a, uh, you know, this jurisdiction over here, uh, directly answers to the federal government or not, um, we have a very specific culture that's developed around policing, there's a lot of federal aid in police, uh, to policing, in terms of militarizing police departments, Trump just uh, overturned some of the reforms that Obama had put in, around uh, sending excess military equipment to police departments around the, around the country. Um, you know, we have forums, uh, national forums on policing that, that happen all the time, and that's where policy gets set. For instance, I mentioned Bratton earlier, Bratton and Giuliani in the early 90s. That broken windows policy was exported everywhere around well, the country. Because it worked. It worked for for the the white people with money that didn't want to see bad things. Well, it didn't also, work for the people I'll, that had to move out of where they lived and got locked up for years. Well, not every not every relative. Just so the people listening know, broken windows was a policy in New York City when the crime rate was sky high. And I grew uh, up in a pretty yeah, place. And Giuliani and Bratton, they decided to if if you jumped the turnstile or you got caught spraying graffiti or if you were drinking a beer on the side of the road or you got caught with even a little bit of marijuana, uh, they uh, basically threw the book at you. And what it did, the purpose of that was, the idea was, you know, if we fix all the broken windows, then the neighborhood will fix itself. And so there are neighborhoods that the people are not privileged and that benefited from that. You know, they, the shootings went down in those neighborhoods. The drug dealers weren't on the corner anymore. Their houses weren't getting broken into. So yeah, that would be my argument. And, 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 but, but then they got bought out because then you see New York City, everywhere. which is, which is a giant overpriced strip mall. And that's what it, I grew up in a place with character. I grew up in a place with soul. Now it's a place that I don't even recognize. When and no one I that grew up there, there and no one can afford to live there. You could, you, you know, you're going to pay $1,500 a month for a studio in the worst neighborhood in New York city. And that is a direct result of those policies. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, you, you know, even down, country. even down here in South Florida, you know, when I did search warrants and I arrested drug dealers, the neighbors would walk up secretly, walk up and just whisper, thank you, you know, and, and they're not all uh, upper class white people that were very happy to see these other people go to jail. So, you know, cleaning that's up the neighborhood. All, that's all anecdotal. When we look at the statistics and the trends of what happens and the inequality that's developed, the gentrification that's developed, um, the rate of incarceration that's developed in this country, that's where the truth lies. What one person whispers to another person, you know, that's all good and well, but we've seen, we've seen what this has created and what it's created is a police state. And we do have police departments that drive around with, I live in the middle of nowhere now in Georgia, in rural, rural Georgia. I drive by a police station every day that's got a goddamn mechanized Humvee sitting out in it, <laughs> in, in a county that I don't know that 10,000 people live in this county. You know, for what? 
Um, you know, this this is all it's, it's widespread. But for but just the, in case, I guess the greater just point. Just in case there's just in case there's a hostage situation. Just in case you know they need that to try to uh, you know rescue somebody that's uh, you know. What if just in, just in case those weirdos in the commune down the road and get out of line? Yeah, if you, if you weirdo <laughs> communists open up a commune out there, we got to have a Humvee to shut you down if you get out of That's hand. That's right. Well, I mean, ask we David Koresh. Um, ask David Koresh. It's a bear cat. Say, you know, the, 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 the biggest point between all that is, is that, again, as I said in the beginning, I'm a police abolitionist. So right. what, what I envision is a society wherein all of the various issues that, that we immediately think cops, cops, cops uh, would be handled by other means. For instance, you know, uh, we, we had, I'm sure you saw the Georgia Tech shooting um, yep. that just occurred. Uh, the the uh, young student who was killed. Um, so we've got a, you know, we've got a kid with a little, with a tiny little knife. Uh, I've been institutionalized is when I was a teen. Again, like I said, I was, I had rich parents and I was a druggie. So I got sent off all sorts of nice places. Um, and so I've seen people, violent, large people sometimes really go off in that setting. And I've seen medical professionals restrain them um, with, who, who weren't even armed uh, very effectively. I'm sure y'all have seen that. I'm sure y'all have seen cops that were, you know, decently trained to deal with that. And that's fine. And people say, well, we can train cops better in mental health. Well, why does it have to be a cop? Why can't, why is there not, you know, a mental health crisis response unit that comes out there that has nothing to do with the criminal justice? So we've seen this in Seattle with the, what is it? The, the lead program, I think, LEAD, um, where they commuted a lot of these calls that would have been traditionally police calls, uh, right. n- nonviolent drug offenses, prostitution, uh, mental health cases, and well, they have a response unit that comes out. Um, yeah, but in this case, worked it, really well and it saved the city tons of money. Yeah, but the, in this specific, and I agree 100% that, and most police officers would agree that they don't want to be psychiatrists mm-hmm. or psychologists, that, mm-hmm. you know, and they don't want to be involved in those situations. Uh, but in this particular case, you're talking about the kid called himself, from what I understand, said that there was somebody with a gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when the police showed up, he produced a knife, small or big, I don't want to get stabbed. Yeah. Um, and then he told the cops to kill him. Now, that's yeah. right at that point. Yeah. If a medical professional showed up there without a weapon, maybe they just retreat. But once the police are called for that, they really have a duty to um, make sure that that situation gets resolved somehow. Right. So, I mean, yeah, it's problematic for sure. Some of it. Now, look, if you want to get into my weirder theories about life in sure. the universe. You know, um, <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, wait, wait, there's weirder? <laughs> I, I, I would tell you that, you know, that, that, Many of the mental health issues that we see now would not even exist if we eliminated capitalism. But, you know, these are, these are much longer term things. You know, um, that, that's one example. There, there are plenty of examples. I think the point is that in the past, before we had police departments, communities had ways to address issues, um, even issues of criminal justice, even issues of punishment. Um, yeah. you know, whether it was a magistrate or a local court um, for the Rwandan genocide. Uh, all of the justice for that was meted out, um, not by law enforcement organizations or traditional or a traditional criminal justice system. They had these entities called guachacas, which were uh, essentially local tribal councils. And there were people that had lived next to each other for 20 years. And oh, by the way, y'all just killed 500,000 of us. 
but we're going to get into this community court and we're going to talk about this and figure out what the hell happened. And there's going to be, you know, some restitution made. And they recovered from that pretty miraculously um, without having to, you know, just uh, send all the Hutus out of the country, you know, to deal with that and create a separate state, you know, um, there are just, there are just many, many, many instances where, communities that take care of themselves do a better job than hired police forces even some kind of you know policing that existed it would be very different but where where there was just a mandate that if you're going to be part of i mean essentially a neighborhood watch just a glorified neighborhood watch we have land here right now you know we have six people that live out here one of them was a marine by the way um he awesome. <laughs> was, was a scout in afghanistan uh uh and you know eventually we may have 25 people out here. Um, well, George Zimmerman was on a uh, neighborhood watch. Right, but that's a neighborhood watch, again, in, in a very different context. That, that, that's a neighborhood watch that exists side by side with police, you know, in, in one of these strange developed communities. I mean, it's just, not, it's just not the same context at all as what I'm talking about, where we, okay. we get away from the alienation of labor and wealth. Uh, you know, and we actually have people that are running their own communities. We are here growing our own food, living with each other, knowing each other, knowing each other's business. And if something gets out of line here, we will handle it amongst ourselves. And if somebody comes here and presents danger to us, we are fucking armed. <laughs> you know, and, and we're not against that. Yeah, we are, we are heavily armed and we have the right to be and we take advantage of that. You know, um, and that, it's, about it's about autonomy, you know. I, I, in my community where I live, do not tell us how we do it. We will do it how we do it. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't disagree with I don't think a lot of people disagree with that. I think, uh, you know, most, uh, most people don't want to be told what to do. They want to run and govern their own lives. Absolutely. And we, you know, a lot of people probably listening to this would say that, yeah, big government has problems. And, you know, there are injustices put on people for the greater good, you know, air quotes. Um, how does in in your gym and where you are after this controversy came up? What, what has been some of the uh, what has been some of the comments to you, both good and bad, and, and from who? Is there anything interesting? Like who who came and talked to you, and what have you heard, and what have people asked you about? Uh, it was it was such a, a just a storm <laughs> that came for a while. Um, gosh, my wife's over here on the other side of the room. She can tell you about some of the stuff she got too. Um, but, uh, you know, there was, there was a lot of just hate, 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 hate. Um, and it did, you know, again, I'm, and I'm certainly not accusing y'all of anything on an individual level, but I think it it did, it certainly confirmed a lot of my suspicions about some of the alliances that exist between a certain racist mindset and cop culture. The fact that I said this about cops and every other message I got was N-word, 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 fuck you, die. You know? Really? Um, oh, yeah. I've, I've got thousands of them. We got letters handwritten to us. And um, these, are from, these are from law enforcement people? Or people you don't who know? claim to be law enforcement, claim to be ex-law enforcement, or were just supporters of law enforcement. From well, all, I didn't, I didn't a lot know. from New York because the Post and the Daily News picked it up. Yeah. Um, you know, and then we had, I mean, shoot, I had somebody from the New York City uh, Board of Education call and talk to me for a half hour because he was so interested about it. Uh, <laughs> he was arrested for punching someone at a Donald Trump rally or something like that. Oh, Jesus. Uh, yeah. we had, um, we've had, I think, what? I think about six or seven members that joined since then because they saw the okay. story yeah. um, and appreciated that. We had a couple people leave. 
Um, They knew about our policies before, but we're like, too much publicity. Yeah. Um, uh, You know, and we expected that. Um, I'm, you know, I'm trying to think of like anything that really stands. It was, it was really, it was a lot of venom. It was a lot of venom Um, more than anything else. I was getting, I had to just turn my phone on do not disturb for a few days because it was about every 10 to 15 seconds I was getting another phone call that was just, you know, death threats yeah. or what have you. Um, I mean, <clears throat> that's, that's, that's going to happen though. You know, no matter what, oh, yeah. there's always going to be, oh, yeah. I mean, even if you put on there, you know, uh, no, no rich white males allowed in my gym, you're going to get some kind of backlash, oh, but, yeah. uh, you know, no, no, I, I, answer, I there have been mo- many moments in my life where I've gotten backlash for something or other I've been involved in for sure. Well, you yeah. said, yeah, you said that you had that policy in place and you had other signs out there. How did this, how did this particular day, how did it go viral? Did somebody post a picture? Or was there some kind of video or something? My, my, my understanding was that some person saw the sign that day who was a veteran, mm-hmm. I guess, and they called Channel 11. Um, about it and then channel 11 said we're going to do a little story on it and they called me up on the phone and asked about it and i sort of articulated why it was there and what my position was and you could hear the lady she was kind of doing a little fluff story and then when i said what i had to say she was like what um <laughs> you know like the, the, this is going to be controversial we gotta report yeah she drove out near my land i live about 45 minutes outside of atlanta um yeah. And, uh, and interviewed me, and then it just kind of went from there. Because they yeah. said we're running this story no matter what, so I honestly probably wouldn't even got on camera about the whole thing if they yeah. were just going to bury it. But they said we're running it no matter what, so I was like, well, let's, let's put our side out there. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I respect your opinion. I like I said, I don't necessarily agree. Like, I wouldn't do that in my gym. But uh, um, I respect your position as well as the fact that you stood up to it and you didn't back down. Did you ever think about maybe, well, wait a minute, maybe I, I should, or it doesn't seem that way, but I'm asking you. No, no, no. I take my pants off in front of the world and make them stare. That's a whole other story, right? Didn't I, know, <laughs> I, I, I was speaking more symbolically there, but that is. <laughs> yeah. What happened with that, dude? Because that's interesting as hell, man. What, no, no, no. What happened with that is, um, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll be very frank and honest. Uh, psychedelics are a huge part of my life. Um, uh, I, I believe very much in the therapeutic potential mm-hmm. of them, um, in the spiritual value of that, uh, especially plants, especially peyote. Peyote, ayahuasca. And, and, and I've, yeah, I've had ayahuasca, sir, but especially peyote and, and for me and psilocybin, psychedelic mushrooms. Um, there are things I messed with over the course of my life and probably in much more of an immature and juvenile way, I'd say the last probably two years, I've been a lot more focused on actually like studying traditional shamanism and medicine work and what that means in a controlled and really positive way. Uh, I would say the last time I would, I would say the time that I learned that lesson really was, it was a night we were all hanging out. We had actually with a bunch of people that had been involved in organizing an anti-cop action. Um, and it was two weeks of pretty hard work and we all chilled out and we ate some mushrooms. Uh, and I ate a lot and I went, you know, went through the night. I went to bed with my wife, kind of thought I was going to sleep. Uh, might've rolled around with her a little bit and you know, I don't sleep with clothes on. So I woke up sort of, I, I, I sort of slept walk up and I, you know, I guess was wandering around and I walked outside my front door. Uh, and was sort of like wandering around on my sidewalk in front of my house and I didn't have clothes on and, you know, I was in some kind of weird place up here and neighbor called the cops. 
Uh, <laughs> like, it wasn't like I was like chasing people down and showing them my junk, you know, like, right. like I was, I was just kind of wandering. I thought I was in Paris somewhere, you know? Um, and, and, and one of the lessons I took from that was, yo, yo you got to figure out, you know, when you're going to, when you're going to do things like this, you have to do it with intention and you have to do it in safe places with people that are aware of what's going on and where you're not exposed to, you know, to situations like this. And, you know, it's part of why I moved to the woods, not because I want to take mushrooms and be naked. I mean, that too. Uh, I, I did that last week a lot. It was great um, <laughs> uh, during the hurricane. And that was nice. Um, but uh, but just because, you know, look, somebody who's like me and does the things that I do in life uh, maybe doesn't do so well when they're surrounded by cameras and neighbors and cops and lawyers and sirens everywhere. You know, yeah. we, we do a little better out here. Um, so that, you know, that that's what sort of that situation was. And it caught, you know, that caught its whole thing too, because I have a little bit of a reputation around there. So it's like, look, see, he's crazy. He's going around <laughs> losing his mind. And, you know, it, it sucked, you know, I mean, getting, when you're peeking on a mushroom trip and, you know, a bunch of cops show up and cuff you and chain yeah. you to a hospital bed yeah. for seven hours and you're tripping your balls off. It's not good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 yeah. I, yeah. Holy <laughs> cow. That's a good <laughs> story. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah that was that that was that one um jim was operating at that point that, that, that was when the gym was going on everybody there laughed about it I can, yeah <laughs> i'd hate to see what happened if i did that here <laughs> i wouldn't but yeah that might be a problem <laughs> all right cool man well um mike anything else about uh about the gym <laughs> about fitness Something fitness related? Well, I, I mean, I'm just, I'm interested in maybe hearing I'm a little bit Get ready to go train. Yeah. <laughs> you get, get you jacked up. But uh, Jim, you said, uh, in, in, where in, were you in Moscow when you were in Russia or was? No, St. Petersburg. St. Petersburg, gotcha. Saint and Saint you, were, you were there going to school? I was going to school and also just kind of staying with my first wife, my ex-wife's my ex -wife's family. Um, uh, our kids, our kids had the opportunity to be with to be with her family and family for the time. So we were just kind of, I was studying a little bit and we were just being back in her home for a little while. Gotcha. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm pretty, that's a good story, man, so far. I, I mean, I really appreciate you giving us your opinion. And your point and your of view, point. man, I think yeah, it's really it's interesting. Really, and like I said, like we, you know, we're not trying to beat you up. We're here to uh, just listen to it. So do you want to add anything to let us know let us or any know. people listening what's going on? No, I, you know, I, I, I guess, you know, as to the whole controversy that existed too, I think one point that, that we, kept, we repeatedly really tried to make was, look, if you've been around weightlifting, powerlifting, CrossFit, bodybuilding, strongman, any of that, uh, you'll you'll know that when you walk into spaces where people are training like that, you generally have uh, you know pretty heavy pro cop culture, pretty heavy pro military culture, maybe very athletic kind of jock culture. Um, it, it's pretty standard around the country. I think part of what we were trying to say here was was look, we don't really care what you're doing up in your gym in Marietta or Roswell. We have a little space here in East Atlanta. And, you know, we have a small group of people that, that prefers to have things a certain way and to create an environment uh, with which we're more comfortable. Um, and, and, and that's really what it came down to. And I guess that the fact that that made people so angry was just sort of weird to me. Because, look, I can walk into a regular gym and there's a lot of stuff in there that make me uncomfortable. You know, and they look at the tattoos on my face and think about the people I've slept with of this gender and that gender and, you know, take a look at the earring dangling off my ear and the things I have to say, and they might want to kill me, 
you know, I mean, for real, you know, down here in Georgia. Um, so that, that was, that was sort of a, a bit, that is the biggest piece of it in a way is look, look, this is how we are. And this is our space. Leave us alone. You know, yeah, I we, think uh, a lot of the, uh, yeah. you know, a, a lot of the social media with people that I saw comment on, on different people posting that article and the video from the news about your gym. Um, you, I, I could definitely see where you would feel threatened by that. And, you know, um, also, you know, believing in the things you believe or looking the way you do or saying the things you say that in certain environments, you probably would not be welcome. You're right. Um, and I also saw a lot of people like myself. USA Weightlifting did ban our, our affiliation. They pulled our affiliation. Just Who did? Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, did well, how, did they, how did they do that? Did they call you or they get in touch with you or they just basically? No, I was, I was emailed. I heard about it first. Um, uh, I think Team Georgia Weightlifting put something up about it, and then I got an email from Utah. Um, uh, and there was very little. It was, it was funny. I'd actually I was just about to cut them a check for a donation, <laughs> um, and I didn't know any of this was going to happen. But right. no, they uh, they just emailed us and said no. They said something about the code of ethics. I vaguely considered going after it for a second, and it was yeah, eh, whatever. Maybe but they didn't pull any of our personal memberships. They didn't pull yeah. Rachel status as an instructor, any of that stuff, because they didn't have anything to do with that. They just said, so I said, fine, you know, and we made a bunch of jokes about becoming a satellite affiliate of North Korean weightlifting. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know if they'd let you, but that would be funny as hell if you did it. But my point, my point, the whole thing is like a a lot of people that commented that I saw on things were basically like saying, hey, I don't agree with him, but let him do whatever the fuck he wants. It's his business. Uh, It's his place. And, you know, why are you pissed off about it? I'm not pissed off about it. You know, I was a Marine and a cop. I'm not pissed off about it. I, as a matter of fact, I want you to do whatever the hell you want to do and, and be happy with it, right? And that's why I say I respect the way that you stood up for it and didn't apologize for it. You know, for other people getting mad or, you know, anybody who would, you know, wish harm or ill will upon you because of the way you believe, that, you know, as long as you're not hurting somebody, then, you, you know, you should be able to do that. I think that's what this country is about. And I think a lot of the police officers, military members, uh, feel the same way. So even though you got a whole bunch of hate mail, right, it, in, in the vacuum, it seems like everybody's out against you. But I don't really think that that's the case. No, I, I know that those those folks are a little more vocal. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. They get vocal. So. yeah. And listen, anybody, any 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 law enforcement officer, a legitimate law enforcement officer, <laughs> is not going to be sending you shit in writing, putting themselves out like that. You know, making threats or. Yeah you know, using the N word or this or that or the other thing, because you know what? Cops are very vulnerable. I mean, you see that one cop that's getting jammed up uh, who posted something like four or five years ago, making jokes. Um, you know, that guy's probably going to end up getting fired. You know, yeah. you, know yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like it's, they're vulnerable is what my point is. So, yeah. you know, yeah. and I agree. I, yeah, they, I, you know, there, there's no way for me to verify who, was or wasn't right. right. I'm just saying. I just don't want you to think in. that bunch of fucking cops are making threats. I know one guy wanted to challenge you to a boxing match or something. Like oh that. yeah. <laughs> yeah. What did you answer him <laughs> for for a charity or something like that? Yeah, it was like a kids' charity. It was like for the kids. We'll do it for the. It was such a PR stunt, man. I just was like, yeah. Mm, yeah. You uh, didn't get sucked in, huh? No, I didn't want to do that. Oh, I, I don't know about boxing. It'd be yeah, like if right. I told him that I wanted to come and do a fucking clean complex competition. Yeah, yeah tell him, man. Say, hey, come you know, on. Like, what, is, what can you snatch, buddy? Yeah. <laughs> right. 
I don't know your sport. (laughs) So overall, I'm not going to lie, man. Like overall, you seem like a pretty decent dude, you know, even though I don't agree with some of the stuff that you, you know, you believe in. But my question is, if me and Mike end up coming up to your area, you going to let us come and train at your gym? (laughs) Well, you're not active. You're you're not active duty police officers, are you? No, retired. We're gym owners. Yeah, that's fine. It's really about a lot of it. And maybe I didn't bring this point up, too, is that. You know, I, I, I view sort of the number one political enemy target, whatever it is, it's, it's, it's the state, it's the regime that we, under which we live. So essentially, we don't want hands of the state involved in our spaces. And that's pretty much it. That's pretty much the whole point. Well, there's other organizations in this country like that, like uh, the mafia. They don't, right? They don't want that. The Hell's Angels. They don't want that, right? right. So this is not unprecedented. It's not. Um, well, not at all. The Black Panthers. Um, some of the populist movements in the Midwest and the South, and you know, even in the two centuries ago. I mean, that's that's yeah. yeah that there's actually something kind of American about that, although I don't like that term so much. Yeah, well, no, I, I, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, you, you know, you think of, you know, that they, the Waco thing, they didn't want the government involved. They, and, you know, um, it's funny, that's the first thing I was thinking of was Waco, the way he was talking about, you know, we're going to grow our own food, we're going to do our own thing, and <laughs> come on my property, we're armed. And I'm like, that sounds well, like I don't, a, I don't usually think I'm Christ. Not usually. I do share his initials, but I don't usually yeah. think I'm so, you know, yeah, the last a, thing you want to—it's one thing to run afoul of the government. Don't run afoul of uh, people's religion, right? Don't come right. after you even harder for that, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. I actually respect religion a lot more than most people in my position, so I never really have a problem with that. Yeah. yeah. Cool. <laughs> anyway, all awesome. right. Hey, and man, we'll it, was uh, it was definitely cool to chat with you. Um, you know, it was good to maybe get this out so some people can kind of see what your point of view is. So you know, maybe it's not as uh, threatening as some people actually believe it is. Cause believe me, I got a lot of, still talk to a lot of buddies that are still police officers and you know, they were like, man, that guy's an asshole. You know, he went the front. I'm like, eh, who cares, man? Who cares? You know, that's my, I guess maybe I'm a little older. Maybe when I was younger, I might feel that way, but now I'm just like, <laughs> let him do his thing. Who cares? He's yeah. not hurting anybody. Just like Mike said, he's not hurting anybody. <coughs> so we're good, man. Mike, anything else before we say goodbye? Cool. I re- no, I just uh, want to thank you for your uh, openness and a candid conversation. I think it was a good talk. Um, I think the people that will listen to this are going to get really good insight, and maybe they'll think about some of the things you said. So uh, all in all, I, really good to talk to you, Jim. I really appreciate you coming on. No, I appreciate it. I had, had, had a pleasant interaction. I got to go lift some weights now. I got my Here girl. Me too. All right. Give him some help, right. man. All right, from up in Atlanta, we're stopping in, buddy. (laughs) Yeah, come on. Let's do it. All right. right. Bye-bye. This is uh, Steve and Mike, and we're going to be signing off on the Underground Playground Podcast.